First Peter uh, chapter 3 is where we're at. We're picking up where we left off uh, last week. Uh, so verses 3 through 13. So I will read it and then we will get after it. So now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. In verse 2-9 of Peter's letter Peter reminded his readers that by faith in Christ, they have become God's chosen people called out and set apart, called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that they might proclaim him. That's why God called him out, to make much of him. And so in its simplest form, really, this is the Christian life. It's you, you, you turn away from trying to save yourself and from living for yourself and having faith in yourself and putting all your hope in the things of the world to satisfy you, turn away from all that and you turn toward God by faith in Jesus Christ, asking God to save you and give you a new and eternal life. And this isn't just a one-day event, though it surely, it begins on a day, but Christians walk by faith in Jesus every day, and it, re, it radically reorients everything about their life. The way they walk doesn't look the same as it once did. And so when others see you living this new life in Christ, your life really then begins to point beyond you. It points to the one you are walking by faith in. Your life points to Jesus when you live by faith in Jesus. And so your life becomes what God intended it to become, a means of proclaiming Christ. And so the hope is that others will see Almighty God at work in your life and hear what he has done, and they too will turn to Jesus. They will look to him as you have, and they will believe, and they will be saved, and God's glory will get brighter and brighter and spread further and further across the earth. Indeed, this is the very purpose God gave man from the beginning of time. Go, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Why? For my glory. Spread my glory everywhere through your lives. So God saves you to multiply his glory. And so Peter 
is writing to a people who are living in a land that is not their own. It's not friendly to their ways. He calls them foreigners and exiles where they're living. And it's by and large still a very dark place. And so he spends much of his letter helping the believers how to, to, to know how to live in such a way that they don't lose their purpose and they don't lose their way and they don't lose their God, but in all times and in all ways, in all areas of life, there are people that no matter what, they proclaim Christ. And so what we looked at last week is that in every area of life, no matter where you are, how people treat you, Christians proclaim Christ by living as a blessing to all people because of their hope in God's greater blessings. And so now this week, Peter deals with the reality that sometimes when you do this, when you live as a blessing in God's ways in this world, the response you get from the world might not always be good and welcoming and friendly. He says in verse 13, Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. In other words, from time to time, not always, but sometimes, if you live for what is good and for what is righteous and from what is of God, it is possible you will not be seen as good. You will not be called good, but you will be even maligned and rejected and slandered and you may even have to endure for doing good a certain level of suffering when you speak as an advocate for the lives of the unborn when you hold forth the scriptures that say that God made man and woman to be man and woman and that marriage is between a man and a woman, when you tell people that they are sinners before a holy God and that if they do not repent of their sin, they will go to a real hell forever. This is offensive to people. And then when you hold forth the words of Christ that claim him as the only way to God and that there's nothing a man can do to save himself but throw himself at the foot of the cross to receive the mercy of God. When you say these truths, they are life-giving, life-saving, life-guarding good truths from God, our Creator. But if you stand for them and live by them in this world from time to time, it will not only seem strange and foolish, but sometimes you'll be hated for it. You will be hated for what is good. You will not be called a lover of Good, you'll be called a bigot. You won't be seen as a lover of life, but a hater of life. You may even have to endure a level of suffering for this doing good. And so this is what's happening to the believers that Peter is writing to. And his, his aim in this passage is to help them know how to, amidst this suffering and this persecution, this resistance, how, when suffering's in front of them, how do they live to keep proclaiming Christ? To respond in such a way that their witness is not compromised, it's not quieted, and they don't fall away. But through suffering, they stand fast, they hold to Christ fast, they proclaim Christ more, so that even in suffering, God's glory only gets brighter and brighter. And according to Peter, when the prospect of suffering comes, 
Um, It's not a time for the Christian to shrink back or to run away, but it's a time to draw near to him and to stand firm in his grace and persevere, boldly proclaiming the God who saves. Suffering is a time for Christians to make much of Christ, the one who suffered to bring us salvation. And that's what I hope you will believe today, that Christians proclaim Christ through faithful perseverance in suffering. And so Peter offers five responses to help Christians know how to do this, how to proclaim Christ through faithful perseverance in suffering. And so let me just say this before we get into it. Um, Though Peter has a specific situation in mind that he's dealing with uh, regarding suffering, it's unjust persecution, If you are facing any kind of suffering today for any reason, my hope is that God's word will help you and encourage you and strengthen you to faithfully keep going and keep proclaiming Christ. These words are sufficient for us wherever you find yourself today. And I believe they will equip you unto that end. So let's look and see how Peter calls Christians to respond. The first way he says is do not fear. Verse 14, referring to those who are responsible for their threats and sufferings, he says, have no fear of them nor be troubled. So of all the commands of Scripture, one of the most often repeated commands spoken by God to his people over 300 times is the command, do not fear, do not not fear. So, now to make sure we, we, we understand the big picture, it's not that we aren't to fear anything, right? The Bible teaches us we are to fear, but our fear is to be of only one thing, of only one person. We are to be a people who fear God. Proverbs 1.7, fear God and keep his commandments. That's Ecclesiastes 12.13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Proverbs 1.7 says, For the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So we are commanded throughout all of Scripture, Scripture's laced with this, to fear God. He's to be our only fear. But when we don't fear God, this is so ironic, or when, when we fear something else more than God or even other than God, the Bible teaches us that this is not only sin and not only leads to death, but ironically, it leads to more fears. Listen to Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So say the inverse of this, when we don't fear the Lord, when we don't see him as our fountain of life, instead of turning away from the snares of death, what do we do? We turn right into the snares of death. To fear anything but God is to turn into the snares of death. And this is what we see from the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they hid from God because Adam said what? Why did they hide from God? I heard you in the sound of the garden and I was afraid. 
because I was naked and I hid myself. So not only did they turn into the snares of death by their misplaced fear, but by not fearing God and thus not following His commands, new fears were born into their hearts and minds, so they hid. So this is the irony of this. A lack of fear of God makes a fearful people. A lack of fear of God makes a fearful people. But the Bible teaches that when one turns to the Lord by faith in Christ, he no longer has to fear anything or anyone ever again because nothing is stronger or greater than God and nothing can thwart God's purposes. And God has promised to give his children everything they need. He's promised that in the end, you will know no loss, no pain, no suffering. You will be with him as he is. You will be with him as he is, see him as he is, and you will eternally have all that you need in Christ Jesus. You will lack nothing. And here's the, here's the thing, and I, I, I fight this. I promise you, I'm a, I fight this myself. I would argue that all of our fears have to do with what we can lose. All the things that we fear they have to do with what we can lose. We're afraid of, afraid of losing our reputation, our comforts, our family, our home, our happiness, our loved ones, our sanity, our very lives. Our fears, they're born out of this fear of what we might lose. But you see, Peter, in chapter 1, he wrote that in Christ, your inheritance in Christ is, he says, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you and your inheritance and you are being guarded by God until you have it. In other words, no matter what you lose in this life, if you're in Christ, all is yours, all will be yours, and God himself, not you, not your efforts, God himself is the guarantor and the guardian of this promise. And so, so, and so what this brings us to is no matter what the world threatens you with in Christ, you have nothing to fear. People can smear your name, slap your face, take your home. They can take your life, but they cannot touch a hair on your head, as Jesus taught, apart from God's good and gracious will allowing it. And we don't understand all the whys, but we know that no matter how far God lets it go, He will never allow anything or anyone to take you away from Him and take away the promises that He has made to you. And so Peter... Um, says without mincing words in verse 14, even if you should suffer, you will be blessed. Your blessing is as sure as the empty tomb. So he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. God is your God and he has you. The second way Peter says to respond is to hallow Christ in your hearts. Verse 15, Peter says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So Peter is patterning his exhortation here after Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah tells God's people, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Don't judge things the same way. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But look at the, here's what he says instead. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. And so what Isaiah was saying and what Peter is saying to them is this, that the, the alternative response 
to fearing man and what they can do to you and what you might lose become of, because of them, the alternative response is to instead honor Christ in your hearts. The word translated here uh, for honor is the same word Jesus used when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. Matthew 6, 9. How does it begin? Our Father in heaven. That's your part. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus gave us the first priority of prayer because it's the first priority of life is to hallow to honor, to set apart the name of Christ. That's what hallowing means, to give the greatest honor, the greatest value of all that you value to Christ. And when we do this, it puts everything else in its proper place. It puts the whole prayer in its proper place. It puts the Christian life in, your, in its proper place when your first ambition is to hallow Christ. And Peter is saying instead of um, so, so watch what he's doing. He's saying, instead of making a big deal about their threats, about what they could do to you, about what might happen to you, to fight those fears in your hearts, instead, make a big deal about Christ in your hearts. Honor Christ in your hearts. When you find yourself worrying and fear, fearful, telling yourself, and you know these voices of what could happen, and, and you hear the voices of others of what could go wrong, or what you could lose, Peter's saying, don't let that have your heart. Don't listen to those voices and get fearful. But instead, he says, lift Christ high in your heart. Hallow him. Give him the greatest priority, the highest voice, the biggest voice. Make him supreme in your life instead of the voices of man, the, the, the what could happens, the fears of man. Remember who he is. Remember what he has promised. Lift him so high and make him so big. Make him alone your fear that all other fears go away, that all other fears melt before him. Say what the psalmist, Psalm 46, though the earth give way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the ocean. That's a pretty bad day, right? Though the earth give way, the hearts be moved, the, uh, uh, the mountains be moved into the heart of the ocean. God is my refuge and strength. He is my help. So instead of fear, Peter says, here's a better response. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let him be your only fear that all other fears may crumble beneath him. The third way Peter says to respond is to give reasons for the hope that is in you. Peter writes, verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Jesus said in Luke 45 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so this response rightly follows what we just said. When you treasure him in your heart, when you hallow him in your heart, you'll speak of him with your mouth. You'll testify to the one who has, in the face of suffering, made you not fearful, but even hopeful. You'll be a good witness. And indeed, Peter says, that's what we are called to be in the face of suffering, witnesses to Christ our Lord. And Peter is a good man to give us this word. You know, Scripture records two different accounts, at least, of Peter being called upon as a witness. About He's being asked about his hope in Christ. In Matthew 26, 
when Jesus was arrested and all the disciples scattered, uh, Peter was recognized as you're one of the ones. Remember this? You're one of the ones who was with Jesus. And when they asked him about his association with Jesus for fear, right? For fear of what they might do to him, that he might be dragged to a cross himself, he denied even knowing the man three times. The third time, it's, I've got to prove it here. I'm going to start cussing. I'm just going to start letting them all have it. And they're going to know I have nothing to do with this man. But then, in Acts 4 and 5, what does this spirit-filled man do? Peter's given another opportunity to testify about his hope. And now, he's the man on trial. He's on trial before the Jewish leaders for speaking the name of Christ. And in Acts 5.28, it says, We strictly charge you not to teach in this man's name. And here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And how did Peter respond this time? There'll be no roosters crowing this time. He said, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. And he said, we are witnesses to these things. And it says the Pharisees, verse 533, they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. And instead of killing them, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And so the writer records that Peter and his friends rejoiced that day that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and that every day in the temple and house to house, they did not ever cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. You couldn't shut them up. You couldn't stop them from giving a reason for the hope that was in them. And so Peter's a good man to give us this word because look, he failed as a witness and walked away unscathed, right? Nothing happened to him. He was fine, totally untouched. He he did not speak Christ. He was faithful as a witness and he got his tail handed to him. They whooped him senseless. And he's telling his brothers from his lessons learned. I can tell you what's better. When they ask you about the hope that is in you, don't be afraid. Honor Christ in your hearts and tell them about your hope. Tell them about the man who changed your life. Tell them what he did on the cross. Tell them what he did in the tomb. Tell them where he now sits. Tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them the good news. Give them a reason for the hope that is able to make you stand in front of the fire and not run, but even face it. Speak Christ, but even, he says, when you do this, do it with gentleness and respect. The word gentleness means meek, mild, humble, lowly. And the word respect, it's the same word he used above for fear. It's phobos. It's where we get the word phobia. And he's obviously not saying to fear man. He's just made that clear. I think he's saying that as you share the gospel, keep your holy fear of God in view. Don't be prideful or arrogant. Remember the one you're speaking of. And and friend, remember where you were when he found you. And stay low. Stay humble, stay meek, but whatever you do, don't stay quiet. 
No matter what they say, no matter what comes of it, no matter what could happen, Peter's saying, I've done both. Don't stay quiet. Give them reasons for the hope that is in you. The fourth response, Peter says, to give is to keep doing good. Doing good, living righteously, standing for what God stands for in his word, according to Peter, This is what got you into this mess in the first place, right? This is why you're suffering, because you're doing good in a dark world. And what Peter is saying here is no matter how they respond, don't stop. Keep doing good. Verse 16, have a good conscience and keep doing good. And so Peter has already exhorted them in verses 8 8 through 12, not to respond to evil with evil, but when you're wrong, to respond with blessing. For to do evil, regardless of who started it, is to turn the face of the Lord against you. It's to give up his watchful care and his close ears to your prayer. It's to separate yourself from God. So he says, when your persecutors come against you, Don't be afraid of them. Hallow Christ in your hearts. Proclaim him with your lips and don't let them knock you down. Keep doing good. Keep doing the good that God has created you to do in Christ Jesus. Keep standing for good, speaking for good, living good, God-honoring lives. You were created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. And so let your life by your good deeds point to the one who is making you good. And the goal, Peter says, that you are hoping for in this good living, look at verse 16, is so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So maybe we kind of like that idea. We'll shame them. Um, But to be sure here, um, I I think it's helpful for us. Putting people to shame is not our end goal right? Um, We know this from the rest of the letter and from all of Scripture. Peter himself wrote in 2.12 that the ultimate goal of your good lives is so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. In the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he's talking to husbands and wives, and he's instructed wives, be subject to your own husbands so that when they see your good conduct, they might be one to faith in Christ right? And so we must remember this. This is what we are ultimately after through their shame. Yes, we want them to feel a shame for their sin, for their reviling. We want them to feel like coals were poured over their head by our good deeds so that they might, by the grace of God at work in them, repent of their sin and turn and believe the good news of Jesus Christ that we are holding to that is causing us to live the way we are. And so, just to be clear, you and I are not called to shame people. Your calling is to do good in the name of Jesus Christ to others. And God is the one, if he so chooses, who will shame them. And all will be shamed for their sin, whether in this life or the next, all will be. We must leave it to God's timing of when that will happen. Ours is to do good and pray that they might believe. And so when they threaten you, when suffering is before you, when you feel compelled to stop and just kind of back away, Peter says, keep doing it. Keep doing good. The fifth and final word Peter gives in the face of suffering is to keep going back to the gospel. 
I won't read the entire passage again for the sake of time. But in verses 17 through 22, though there are some complicated parts to the passage that we can't be totally certain of and we won't debate all that, we can be certain of this as a means of helping them endure and know why they can and even should respond the way he's telling them to respond. This is the motivation for all these responses. Peter takes them back to the life, death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. He takes them back to the gospel. The word for in verse 17 says that of all I just said, here's why you can do that. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, he says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the Spirit. And then verse 19, uh, he went and proclaimed this victory in all eternity past. And then verse 22, now he is at the right hand of God. He's with angels, authorities, and powers, all having been subjected to him. So he's saying, look where Christ is. In other words, Peter is saying, the reason I can tell you to live this way, the reason I can say it's better to suffer for doing good, it's better even if death is before you to keep honoring Christ, keep speaking Christ, keep doing good in Christ's name. The reason I can tell you living this way, even in the face of suffering, is because the worst possible suffering and death were not the last word for Jesus. And by your faith and perseverance in him, it will not be the last word for you. Suffering will not have the final word over your life if you are in Christ. And just as God delivered Noah, so he points back to Noah, through the waters of his wrath on an ark, so you too, when you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ to save you, you get aboard the wooden ark of Christ. You come upon his cross and it becomes your salvation. His victory, his deliverance becomes your deliverance. It becomes your salvation. And by faith in him, though you may suffer in this life, you will be delivered from the floodwaters of God's wrath. And just as he is seated in glory right now, Peter's looking at him, he's saying he's seated right beside God now, he's seated in glory. Peter is saying you too will will join him in glory. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news we have before us. By faith in Christ, you can be saved from your sin, saved from the wrath of God, and given a new life, an eternal life, with everlasting joy and peace in the very presence of Almighty God. You can be delivered from the floodwaters. And baptism that Peter points to, it's a picture of this. It's, a, it's symbolic of the salvation. It's a tangible reminder of God's miraculous Noah-like salvation in your life, of you joining yourself to the one who took him, his, your sin upon himself that he might, what? As it says, bring you to God. He delivers you to God. And friends, think about this. Think about this because we get so fearful of man. I do this. God didn't save you by the blood of his own son and work out this miraculous salvation for you so that you would be the defeated by the frail plans of man. Man gave it their best shot on Jesus. 
They did the worst that they could do to him. They took his life, but three days later, he defeated death. He took the victory, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And so you too, when you unite yourself to Jesus by faith, when you believe the gospel, you walk through those baptismal waters, there is nothing man can do to you, giving their best efforts, even if they take your life, there is nothing man can do to you to separate you from God and all the promises he has made to you. It didn't work on Jesus. It will not work on you. And so... Because of this, the world can throw all that it has at you. It can give you its best shot. Because of this, when suffering comes, when suffering is on the horizon, we don't have to run the other way, and we don't have to be afraid, and we don't have to shut our mouths, and we don't have to get them back. Even in the face of suffering, we can keep going. We can keep living as a blessing. We can keep proclaiming Christ. You see, the gospel that Peter says, go back here, go back to the gospel, stay there. The gospel reminds us that suffering in this life is but the road to glory in the next. And so Peter says to those who are facing suffering, don't be afraid. Go right at them. Even if you should suffer in Christ, this is what he says, you will be blessed. It's guaranteed as, the, as empty as the tomb was, you will be blessed. That is the good news that we hold to. That is the good news that keeps us until the end, even in the face of suffering. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is truth and it is life for us. We thank you for your son that came on the greatest rescue mission we have ever known. And God, we thank you for your promises that we can hold fast to today. God, this word that we read today, if anything, it just says, come to Jesus, the one who is victorious. So God, today, will you help us to come? Everybody in this room that are at a different place at a different time, some have never come to you for the first time. Some are in the midst of suffering and they just, they, they feel like they're drowning. God, today, no matter where your word finds us, will you help us to come to our victorious King who defeated death and is now seated at the right hand of God, will you help us to unite ourselves by him, to draw close to him? And God, help us to be people. When suffering comes, when trial and resistance and heartache comes, help us to be a people who proclaim Christ. Because we will be blessed. So God, today, will you make that blessing rich in our hearts? Will you help us in our unbelief to believe the good news? Will you help us to turn to you, to come to you? If you defeated death, there is nothing we're fighting in our life right now that you cannot defeat. So God, today, help us to come. Help us to bring it to you. Help us to come to you and respond 
and faith. And you're God, you're good, you're faithful, and there is nothing too great for you. Help us to receive the blessing that you have for us in Christ Jesus. We pray all of this in Christ's great name. Amen.